Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Russian troops on the move again. Ukrainian officials tonight expressing new concern about further big deployments in neighboring Belarus of Russian soldiers along with tanks, artillery, and other hardware. Just some of over 125,000 troops threatening a possible full-scale invasion of the country. And the story broke in the last 72 hours that Joe Biden had a change of heart for some reason on the whole idea of us sending troops anywhere. And we now have 8,500 troops on heightened alert. As of today, and the idea of sending them to somewhere in the region, not Ukraine, but somewhere in the region, and definitely more, uh, you know, uh, armament stuff, you know, support. Military analyst Mike Lyons joins us. Mike served with various military organizations uh, for the United States of America throughout his career, was awarded the Bronze Star for his actions in combat, among other recognition. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, morning, guys. Great to be back with you. First of all, and I ask this because a lot of our listeners are emailing, talking about, guys, we can't go to war. War with Russia. We're, we're, we're going to go wagging the dog, getting in a war. Where are the troops and armaments being sent, and what's the significance of it? Okay, so, yeah, first of all, this is not a wag the dog. This is a very serious military buildup on the side of Russia, who's acting more like the Soviet Union right now, from more analysis that I've been doing the past few days here. And they're, they're bringing troops from Siberia, way uh, the east of Moscow. They, they are, have a very, very serious military buildup here, sending troops into Belarus. Um, Navy, for example, is going to go do, do an exercise in the Irish Sea, and the only thing I can see uh, from there, that perspective is the amount of technology that transfers from Europe to the United States and underground cables and things. So, so they're doing a many things right now that, that are seen to be very aggressive with regard to their military. So, n- number one, this is not a wag the dog, so it comes back to this issue of, What's this level of deterrence that we're going to do to keep them from actually doing something? Um, you know, we, we're sending 85 troops. We put them on heightened alert. That's like double secret probation, frankly, because with the amount of troops that they have there right now, um, we, we wouldn't get anybody there on time if we were going to put them in Ukraine. We might be able to help a NATO country that's surrounding them. But for all practical purposes right now, we've got to look at this through the eyes of Russia and say they're going to definitely do something, and it's just the question is a matter of when. I saw one analyst talking about uh, Russia having in place what it needs for a blitzkrieg-like operation, just a super-fast, overwhelming, they've-got-the-country-before-you-know-what-happened sort of a maneuver. Is that possible? Yeah, I think it's true, and they're going to avoid built-up areas and likely go for their military. And so Russia will win this by destroying the Ukraine military. Now, we could send all the ammunition and javelins and, and surface-to-air missiles we want, and, and they get to Kiev and, you know, they could sit on a dock someplace. But, but the bottom line is um, if, we, if, if they've destroyed any of the users of that equipment, it's not going to matter. And they, they know where it all is. They know how they're going to target it. They know what they're going to do. They're going to bypass certain areas. I think that the fact that they put so many troops down in the in the northern part or you know in that Belarus area shows they're going to do this pincer movement where they'll likely come from the north they'll likely look to surround the capital um and 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 not just take control of 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 the country but you know really destroy the military and just put it set it back 30 to 50 years when it comes to being a country and if they decide to leave then then so what they've destroyed it so Russia's perspective of Ukraine is they're an enemy um they've been they've been fighting for them for the past seven years um they perceive them as a threat they perceive them as trying to align with the west and from their perspective they don't think deterrence has worked they've tried deterrence on on ukraine and from their perspective it hasn't worked which is why they're doing what they're doing 
Let's rewind a little bit, and I realize this could be a book-length answer, but what are the American interests in Ukraine, in Russia's aggressions in Ukraine? Why do we care? Well, um, at, at 50,000 feet, it's supporting you know, a sovereign nation that's a democracy, so if it's more ideological than it is economic, let's say, um, from that perspective, and you know, we can cavil as to whether or not that's a good idea to go to war over. Probably not in today's world. Um, number two, it also serves as potentially this linchpin that would drive NATO apart. You've got already the Germans not playing. They're not really participating in what's going on because they rely on about 30% of their energy comes from Russia, so they're not looking to get into any kind of conflict with Russia. Um, but other than that, it's you know us trying to prop up um, you know these Eastern European countries who mistakenly we allowed in NATO following 1999 2004 under the Bush administration. You know, so so this could end up turning out to be a war of former Soviet bloc countries against uh, against Russia. Now, what happens then? What happens if Romania decides to cross a border that they share with Ukraine and help the Ukraine military? Russia attacks them and does something into Ukraine and launches missiles into into Romania. Then what happens? Then that's a NATO country. Here we go, Article 5. Now the U.S. is dragged into this. This was the problem of, of putting these countries in. I've said this before. We can't have membership to NATO to be everybody but Russia. Same mistake we're making that we made that started World War One. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, that whole NATO Article 5 thing. So that's the danger of the United States actually getting involved, right? If, if any NATO plane or ship or soldier or anybody um, somehow on purpose or inadvertently gets attacked, then, then things change. Yeah, in theory, there's a lot of things going on in the Med right now. We've got a carrier group there. The Russians have got um, naval forces there. They've got them in the Atlantic, uh, in the Black Sea, of course. Uh, anything that we just don't know what that trigger could be, and that could lead to a, a further escalation. And, and then what does that look like? I mean, it, from, from our perspective, it's only strategic weapons, because like I said, we, we don't have any capability to get troops there on time. I, I just don't think 8,500 troops on high alert is the is the kind of deterrence that we need to be doing. I also don't agree with us implementing sanctions right now. Anything we do right now is going to be considered preemptive. It's going to be considered an act of war on the Russian side, so I think that'll just further down the road the, the, his capability of, of wanting to, to do this even more. I mean, the, we, he's got to look at right now the cost of not acting. That that Talleyrand expression about, you know, you can do a lot of things with bayonets, but you can't sit on them. He's going to lose a lot of face here if nothing if nothing does happen, if he doesn't do anything um, with his own people, I think. Um, and we've got to figure out diplomatically if there's if there's an off-ramp to that or not, or, or else right now from... The way I look at it, um, the Ukraine military is about to be destroyed. Oh, boy. Well, there's been some reporting that the Ukraine military's plan is to kill as many Russian soldiers as fast as they can and have the Russian public turn against this. Of course, if it's a two-day operation for Russia to roll through the whole country and take it over, I suppose there wouldn't be time to uh, to turn right. public hey, opinion. There's a crazy op in the World Street Journal today that says 100,000 troops is not enough. And, and I sit there and I go, how, how do you know that? I mean, we, we look at we look at the situation in the past of what's what's happened. I just don't think that that's you know a feasible way of deterrence and making sure that 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 uh, that's going to keep them from doing anything. Mike, have you actually let loose the dogs of war? Yeah, we can hear the dogs of war in the background. <laughs> yeah, and no, I had him had him locked up, but he gets out. He gets oh, don't worry about it. No. <laughs> We just, we just thought that was a funny joke. That's all there was to that. Um, Mike Lyons, military analyst on the line. Always great to talk to Mike. Jack. Um, so is the most likely thing that happens then, R- Russia moves in. It only takes a couple of days. They destroy the Ukrainian military. They take over Ukraine. And the world says, eh, what are you going to do? Is that what's going to happen? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think that the question is how much damage does Russia cause? Do they feel they have to go overboard and um, it could lead to those crippling sanctions that we say that, that are going to happen? Again, the Germans are not going to go with them and the Chinese will still you know, back support them as well. Um, I, I just think that the question is how much will be destroyed of, of the Ukraine military, because that's really it, it would be no match. They have they they don't have the same capabilities over 100 and some 50,000. They've got all those other troops that are there as well. They just don't have any kind of capability. And, and again, these anti-tank missiles and the things we're sending is not going to be enough to stop them. They're, they're, the Russians are going to do this by indirect fire. They're going to sh- fire missiles and artillery into these built-up areas, flatten them, level them for a few days, and then decide to roll in it to destroy anything that's left over. Hmm. So just a, another book-length question, uh, you know, condensed down into a minute or two. Um, to what extent... In your opinion, is Vladimir Putin trying to recapture the not only the ground, but the glory of the Soviet empire? And to what extent is he like Russian rulers through history, you know, fairly paranoid about attacks from the the West and the South? And he's just trying to establish a, a buffer. I, I think he's not acting like a Russian ruler. He's acting like a Soviet ruler. He's not, it's, And there's a difference. I mean. Um, you know, Russia potentially would have been part of the international community. Look at I mean, Boris Yeltsin and look at the things that, 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 that they tried to do at the end there with Glasnost and, and Gorbachev, and that was more of a Russian ruler. He's much more ruthless. He's more so of a Soviet Union leader that wants to bring um, as much damage down and fear as a tactic in order to get things going. He, there's no carrot and stick with Vladimir Putin. I, I think the question is um, he wants America out of Europe, that's for sure. And third little secret is we are. I mean, we took 300,000 troops out in the 90s, but he, he doesn't want any more influence in those NATO countries that we have there. And I think I think that's um, the question of whether he can get there with this or not remains to be seen. I saw a good article from Fiona Hill that said, you know, he's got us right where he wants us. And there's there's some ways that's true. The question is, again, he goes in there with this destructive force, kills a lot of people, destroys the Ukraine military, and then turns to the United States and say, now what are you going to do about it? Yeah, the frustrating thing to me as I watch this is there's no, well, not no, there are a few strong intrinsic reasons why we are rivals with Vladimir Putin and his kleptocracy. I mean, it's not like China exactly. He's not exactly a communist, a sort of one. Uh, but why in the world are, are we these huge adversaries with Putin? Well, it's because Putin's a megalomaniac, I think. <clears throat> Yeah, and he's got nuclear weapons, and they, they, he does fancy himself as being, you know, a global leader. He wants to exert global influence, especially in the in the region. It's the same reason why the Chinese want us out of Asia. Um, Russia wants us out of Europe, and he wants to have that sphere of influence over it. Um, you know, I do think that at the end of the day, though, if we get too bogged down in this. And we keep don't keep our eye on the ball that China still presents the bigger problem because of their economy and because of where oh, yeah. their military capability is. And we couldn't make a bullets to kill all the people. So, you know, there's just not, you know, it's still a pretty large distraction here. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to thread the needle on this in a way um that's gonna that's gonna either save face on our side on the nato side doesn't doesn't put the alliance up on some level uh but i do think again that it's going to be kinetic and i think that a large part of that ukraine military is going to get destroyed because he's got the capability to do that we almost used up all our time before i ask my big stupid question which is is there any chance russia and china's working together that that russia's gonna move on ukraine and china's gonna move on taiwan 
I, I think the only way that happens is if it's uh, at, after the Olympics. The, the Chinese have got so much focus there. He, we, Russia did that at the end of the Sochi Olympics in 2014. He literally, the last day of the Olympics, he moved on Crimea. I, I think that his, he's going to at least give the Chinese that amount of time. It's going to give two or three more weeks for the ground to freeze so the tanks don't sink in, in the mud uh, as they roll across the country. But I, I, got, I think quick incursion go in, a lot of fires, a lot of death and destruction. I'm not sure they're going to occupy, but I don't think it's still going to happen for a couple of weeks because of the Olympics. So that's where they're going to work together. Well, getting back to your charming saying about bayonets, something is going to happen. I hope we can stay in touch. Military analyst Mike Lyons, always enlightening, Mike. Thanks a million. Hey, guys. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and if you want to follow the story, follow him on Twitter because he uh, he often has the very latest, best uh, stuff going on there. I th- I think they're just going to roll in, take over Ukraine. The world's going to say, "Damn it! Can you believe that? That sucks." There'll be sanctions. There'll that be really diplomacy. Sucks. Strong statements. Strong statements. So Putin has amassed a half a trillion dollars of reserve money, according to a report out today, to be able to weather sanctions. Half a trillion. He needs oil to be forty dollars a barrel. To be able to make a profit, it's twice that, and that's where they get most of their revenue. So mm-hmm. financially, a lot of thinkers think the sanctions just, he's not scared of them at all, between oil and his saved up money. So He's going to roll and he's going to take Ukraine and the world's going to go, God, can you believe he did that? Damn it. Because he can. What a mean guy. What a stupid son of a bitch. Anyway, have you, seen, have you seen the new season of Squid Game? And then we go back to other, you know, whatever stuff we talk about. I think he nailed it. Yep, there you go. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Tom Brady brought his team back. It was classic Tom Brady's 27-3. He brought them back to tie the game, but then uh, 40 seconds left or something, the Rams marched down the field and then kicked the last second field goal to win the game in regulation. It was crazy to see Tom Brady. It was like the Coyote finally caught the Roadrunner and ate him right there on TV. Yeah, I think even a loss that game adds to Brady's legacy, doesn't detract from it. But so the story is, is he going to retire and spend that story for like 10 years? Oh, um, yeah, no kidding. But uh, so this is the first time he's he's openly saying he's considering it. And he uh, said that yesterday. And um, he talked about uh, his thought process and what he's considering. He said, I continue to love the competition of football. But on the other hand, I recognize the sacrifices my family has made for my career. I I just I don't get that at all. I wish people would just say out loud, I'd rather play football than raise my kids. Just say it out loud, dude. Why? <laughs> you kidding? Because that's what you're doing. I don't get it. I don't get how people do that. There's a great story the other day. Dan Patrick, who's a uh, a talk show host, ESPN giant, that guy Dan Patrick. Sure. Yeah. Who oh, who at the height of his career, ESPN offered them this mega contract with his own show and all these other projects that he'd been wanting. Crazy dollars, and he was getting, he was going in to sign it that day. And as he was leaving the house, he had four kids between like the ages of five and 12 or something like that. And his wife said, Are you sure you want to do this? And he thought about it. He thought, No, I don't want to do that. He looked at his kids at the breakfast table and thought, No, I'm going to miss out on all this. And no. And he went in and told them no. And he says it was the best decision he ever made in his life. And I just, I don't understand how you decide, you know what, I'm going to go play another year of football. See if I can like even establish more what a cool guy I am for the world because I enjoy playing football. I guess I'll see my kids some other day. I don't get it. I really don't. 
Yeah, well, I think there's truth to what you say. I also think you don't get it. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be an NFL quarterback. Honestly, I don't know what the off season looks out looks like. I know he works out a lot. Uh, I've worked five days a week since I was, you know, like twelve years old. So you know, it's okay, and my kids seem to be fine. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much sacrifice that is. Honestly, you spend half the season on the road. Obviously, that's a lot of time away. Yeah, and he said so himself that that's one of the things. On one hand, I really like playing football. On the other hand, it's a big sacrifice for my family. I don't see those as even close to comparable. Sorry. Yeah. Well. When you got more money than God, it's different if you're trying to make a living for your family. Obviously, that's a completely different situation. Well, yeah, but uh, the reason I said you don't get it is if you're made like Tom Brady, psychologically, neurologically, you can't just decide, I'm going to be Joe Getty now. And, and be happy and necessarily be a good dad. I'm not sure he has those cards to play. I just don't know. Hmm. I think it's, it's, it's easier said than accomplished for I'll a lot always, of these guys because they're so obsessive. I'll always take the dad side of the argument over the you're going to be more famous and rich side of the argument. But you might be right. He might not be built to stay home and play with his yeah, kids. Yeah, I don't think that's what I don't think that's what motiv- motivates him at all. I don't think he gives a crap about that stuff at this point. Now the legacy thing—that's a little different. You think I don't know. you think he likes getting run into by behemoths? Maybe that's what he enjoys. He enjoys it when a three hundred pounder hits him at full speed. It doesn't happen a lot. That's true. Almost never. Hey, if you miss an hour, grab it on the podcast at ArmstrongandGetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Cold temperatures in Florida are causing iguanas to fall from the trees, a lot of them. The cold-blooded animals become immobile in the chilly conditions. Residents are advised to leave them alone because they will wake up when it gets warmer and they might be a little angry. How strange is Florida? We have a lot of listeners in Florida. No offense, folks. You got face chewers, you got gators, you got bears, now you got iguanas falling out of the trees like apples. Frozen iguanas? Well, they're very cold. They're not literally frozen. They're immobilized because they're cold-blooded. Without a doubt, one of the great band names of all time, frozen iguanas. But they fall out of the trees and land on your head, but then they warm up, wake up, and they bite you. Okay. Well, it it could happen. Hmm. I tell you what, we got to build a wall and make Pensacola pay for it. (laughs) Something. (laughs) I want to talk about this later. Interesting article uh, in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. America's ever-expanding criminal code. We could have talked about this with Tim, the lawyer, yesterday. The number of federal crimes has increased 36% since the 90s. (laughs) And some of the details behind that are stunning. But uh, more on that later. Also, we got a rundown what the heck's been going on with the stock market. Um, uh, Just the the overarching uh, numbers for you. Maybe next segment. So I have been uh, thinking of crafting a new featurette called L.A.'s Crumbling because so much just crazy news is coming out of L.A. these days. It's the, uh, you know, the progressive DAs run roughshod over the very idea of holding criminals responsible for what they do. Uh, I was going to write a punk song, but A, that would be uh, some work, and B, I thought y'all could probably do a better job. Um, so if there are any musicians out there who want to write a roughly 
five to nine second song called L.A. is Crumbling. Feel free to do it and, and mail it. Email, uh, I'm sorry, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We will use it on the air. Anyway, um, I saw where the, uh, the weird Bond villain L.A. D.A. George Gascon is accusing that, is, is saying that Union Pacific... You've been following the story, right? All the train robberies in, in L.A. where they're emptying the boxcars and throwing the, the boxes and goods they don't want all over the uh, the tracks, and it's just crazy. And Gavin Mussolini went down there said it looked like the third world. Where Gas- well, Gascon is saying, yeah, it's uh, Union Pacific's fault <laughs> for not doing a better job of locking up their trains. That's a pretty good, what the hell is that accent, George Gascon impersonation? <laughs> Oh, Joe's Joe. We're losing Joe here. Where he's broadcasting from home because he and his wife have the COVID. Don't you know the Omicron variant? And uh, so he's not allowed to be around us because he's filthy. He might be lousy in addition to the Omicron and maybe syphilis. So who knows? We'll try to get to the uh, connection fixed on that. Um, that was a pretty good George Gaston impersonation, though. Okay. Yeah, it's as if, uh, is that sounding better? Yeah. Good, I got the uh, gizmos dialed in here. Uh, it's as if uh, Kermit the Frog had been born in Romania. That's the way I, I try to remember that. <laughs> George Gascon, you can't prosecute your way out of this desperation. <laughs> anyway. That's pretty good. Uh, he's saying UP, Union Union Pacific, needs to uh, do a better job of locking its trains. Yeah, that's the problem. Wow. Three years ago, Holy they weren't crap. getting their trains robbed. That's incredible. <laughs> No kidding. No kidding. Anyway, secondly, uh, breaking over Christmas, just heard about this. Uh, 40 L.A. County vehicles were broken into and their catalytic converters snatched. 40 of them. $74,000 worth of loss. As crime is now legal, but just keep pursuing the same policies, I'm sure it'll work out fine. Uh, And on that topic... I was reading with interest a couple of pieces in the New York Post today about uh, Eric Adams, the new mayor of New York, his his uh, anti-crime plans. And it's pretty interesting. Number one, he's revolving the anti-crime squads that are going to go into all the roughest crime-ridden neighborhoods and uh, make sure people aren't carrying guns one way or to other. And there's a lot of detail to this, and I'm not sure how much we want to get into it. How are they going to do that? Uh, he gonna... swears that they will... Are they going to stop and frisk them? Well, probably not. But he promised to reinstate a lot of the stuff Bill de Blasio uh, ended, including the anti-crime patrols. They'll be deployed to 30 violence-wracked police precincts within uh, three weeks. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Um, I'm sorry, skipping ahead. The mayor makes much of the fact that L- the NYPD confiscated 6,000 illegal guns last year and has collected 350 more uh, since January 1st. And he says, 6, we've just got to make sure. Guns. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and then this editorial in the Post makes the point, and it's true. Here's the thing. New York was awash in illegal guns in the 80s and 90s, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And that was because vigorous anti-gun law enforcement stiff penalties suddenly made it too dangerous for criminals to carry. And so they largely stopped doing it. Obviously, you got to protect everybody's Fourth Amendment rights. You cannot be stopping people in a free society and patting them down unless they consent to it. And I realize that can get a little squishy, but it worked before and it saved 
how many hundreds of lives the people who might have gotten murdered who didn't, particularly black lives that I'm told repeatedly matter. Well, how many? So he's good- moving on the problem. It'll be great to watch it and really interesting to see if it works. Well, how many good things happen with an illegal gun? Why do you have an illegal gun? I've never needed an illegal gun. So you've you've stopped all any number of the awful situations by confiscating an illegal gun. Well, I would suggest that if uh, un-LA-like, un-San Francisco-like, although that's changing, too, to some extent, uh, the entire government, the justice system, is in favor of enforcing laws and punishing people who break them. And everybody's working together on that. Then you create space to make sure everybody's civil liberties are 100% uh, observed, There's no brutality. There are no illegal searches and seizures. There's no dirty cops. There's no false prosecutions. If everybody's pulling together and has that goal of enforcing the law, then you have room to make sure it's been, it's done right. But if you let crime run willy nilly and you just have blood running in the streets, well, forget that other stuff that that just creates more ugliness. Speaking of crime. Simply Safe is a good way to go to help protect yourself, since you might not have uh, right politicians in place to want to protect you. Maybe you should protect your own home with Simply Safe, the best home security system of 2021, according to U.S. News and World Report. And right now you can get 20% off of the award-winning home security and your first month free when you sign up for the interactive monitoring service just because you know us. And we're talking about indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained pros who send help the instant you need it. There are no long-term contracts or commitments like there are with a lot of home security uh, situations. So you decide, I don't like this, or I'm not going to use it, or it's too complicated, or whatever, you can't get out of it. Simply Safe is comfortable enough and confident enough themselves they don't have a contract. Nope. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. You can get 20% off of your entire system, and they're always there to help anytime you need it as you set it up. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So we got a story about graduation rates across the country. It's complicated because graduation rates are way down because of the pandemic, even at the same time that we're doing away with any standards for graduating at all. Um, so those two stories coming together in an interesting way. The Great Resignation has more to do with men just deciding they don't need to work anymore for a variety of reasons. And the number of federal crimes that exist in the United States, uh, I think, would make the Founding Fathers quite unhappy. All that stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A pickup truck pulling a trailer transporting 100 monkeys to Six Flags, I don't know, (laughs) got off I-80 in Pennsylvania, then immediately tried to get back on, at which time it was hit on the passenger side by a dump truck tearing off the front panel of the trailer and sending more than a dozen crates tumbling out. So, so, flying monkeys do exist. They're all fine. The monkeys in question are Sinomolgus monkeys, also known as the crab-eating macaque. So officers were able to track them down by staking out participating Red Lobster locations. (laughs) They love Cheddar Bay Biscuits. They love them. 
So one woman got bit by one of the monkeys, and they're trying to test her out to see if she's got any diseases. Um, there's still one monkey on the loose. They caught three of them and euthanized them. I don't know. Are you punishing the monkey for getting escaping? or but, Death penalty uh, for getting in a car wreck? I don't know. But anyway, one monkey is unaccounted for, and if you uh, come across it, you're supposed to call 911 and not attempt to approach or catch the monkey. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll do that. If I see a monkey hiding in the bushes, I won't try to capture it on my own. Look, honey, a monkey. I'm going to capture it on my own. You know what I'll do? I'll just I'll just go over to grab that thing and take it home. That's what I'll do. You Yikes. Des- you deserve to be attacked by a monkey, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Stupid dirt, right? Uh, I want to do this graduation story, uh, high school graduation story, a little bit later. I'm still pouring through it. It's making me sick to my stomach. It's really disturbing me. Mm. On a number of levels. God, what we've done to our kids. I mostly have been thinking about the younger kids, maybe because my kids are on the younger end of it. And, you know, the horrors of kindergartners missing out on that special year of their life and all that sort of stuff. But on the other end, high schoolers that all across the country, they decided, you know what? They weren't able to uh, meet the standards. They didn't get the classes they wanted the last two years. We'll just graduate everybody. Wow. How is that helping them? Will we ever fully reckon with the terrible things we've done to our kids? God, and we're supposedly through COVID paranoid, union driven stupidity. We're supposedly the smart grown ups, and so we're going to take these uh, kids who missed out on the last two years of high school and just send them out into the world. Good luck out there. Oh, it's it's so maddening. Anyway, uh, more on that later. Different story. America's ever expanding criminal code. We've talked about this over the years. On how on how likely it is that you've uh, violated a federal, you've committed a federal crime every single day of your life. The number of federal crimes has increased 36% since the 90s. How is that even possible? How many federal crimes has Congress created? The question seems like it ought to have a straightforward answer that citizens can look up. In fact, it's more like asking how many genes are in the human genome. The answer is... In the many thousands, but despite decades of counting, no one knows for sure how many federal crimes there are. Wow. Our own government does not know, cannot tell you how many federal crimes there are. All we know is they've increased dang near 40% since the 90s. The Heritage Foundation uh, report that just came out notes that there is no single place where any citizen can go to learn all federal criminal laws. And even if there were, some are so vague that no reasonable person could understand what they mean. How do you like that? Some of the oldest, most uh, persuasive and eloquent quotes about self-governance have to do with the fact that if the laws are so voluminous and difficult to understand, nobody can comprehend them, it's impossible to have a free people. Yep. These figures that I just mentioned don't cover the 175,000-page Code of Federal Regulations, regulations which contains an unknown number of crimes created by the executive branch, which are the same as laws. Uh 175,000 pages of regulations that are treated like laws for fining or jailing or whatever else. That's not included in the 40% increase that we were talking about earlier. Wow. How do you like that? The results can be grimly amusing, says this defense lawyer that they're quoting in the Wall Street Journal. Many examples, such as a 2006 regulation that creates a potential five-year prison sentence for bringing more than $5 of nickels out of the United States. I don't think I've done that. More than how more than how much? If you take more than five dollars worth of nickels out of the country, you've committed a federal crime punishable by up to a five year prison sentence. Great Scott. 
The Constitution envisioned that most lawbreaking would be handled by state governments, while the federal government's jurisdiction would be much narrower. As Congress asserts jurisdiction over conduct already criminalized by states, however, that division erodes. Duplicative, that'd be more of the same thing in the same area of law, laws mean prosecutors can charge different people committing the same offense with different crimes, opening the door for bias, the report notes. Or they can be prosecuted twice for the same offense. The Supreme Court has held most recently in 2019 that consecutive state and federal prosecutions don't violate the Fifth Amendment's double jeopardy clause. Both political parties should recognize the risk of an ever-expanding roster of federal crimes, which invites abuse by prosecutors, because if you have a if you're out to get somebody, you can come up with a federal crime that they have violated. Sure. And get and make their lives difficult. How about a commitment by Congress, says the Wall Street Journal, to re-examine the necessity of an existing crime for every new one it creates? I like the idea of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful dream. I'm not sure it'll ever happen. How about that? A 40%, nearly 40% increase just since the 90s. I was just reading. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. And a lot of them duplicating already existing state laws, which means they don't need to be uh, exist at all. Yeah, I was just reading an editorial that I found uh, hopeful, if somewhat unrealistic, that a lot of the cynicism about the federal government and politics and the rest of it might be redirecting people to understand what is so obvious but has been forgotten. First, the family, the house, then the neighborhood, then your town. And if your town can't deal with it, maybe your county. And if your county can't deal with it, there's a near 100% chance your state can deal with it. The further you get from yourself, from the individual, the worse government is, the less responsive it is, the more wasteful it is. Your chance of getting a hearing for your local issue in the White House is none. There is no chance of that. Yet people reflexively look to our Santa Claus God mommy, the president, to solve our problems. It's it's delusional almost to the point that people ought to be like put in a mental institution. Yep. And focus on a national conversation regularly about what the current president thinks about masks or vaccines or a variety of things, as opposed to what your county thinks, because that's all that matters. Great example. Perfect example in these troubled times. Uh, you know, that discussion of the zillions of federal laws reminds me of my favorite Ayn Rand quote uh, from Atlas Shrugged. And, and some of you worship her as a hero. Some think she's a crank. I think she's much closer to the, the former than the latter. But... um One of the characters says, do you really think we want these laws observed? We're after power and we mean it. And there's no way to rule innocent men. The only power any government have is is the power to crack down on criminals. Well, when there aren't enough criminals, one makes them. One declares so many things to be a crime that it becomes impossible for people to live without breaking laws. Who wants a nation of law-abiding citizens? Uh, What's there in that for anyone? Just pass the kind of laws that can neither be observed nor enforced nor objectively interpreted, and you create a nation of lawbreakers, and then you can cash in on guilt. Good one. Amen. Hallelujah. Pass the Constitution. I don't know if this is a federal violation of any kind, but you got these restaurants that have gone viral for threatening workers with five-star review policy. Two New Jersey chain restaurants found themselves in hot water after photos went viral... (laughs) My restaurant's in hot water. Oh, is there a problem being in hot water at a restaurant? You need hot water for all kinds of dishes. Um, the photos went viral of an employee notice that stated workers were required to earn online reviews of five stars in order to keep their jobs. Okay. 
Oh, I see how that works. That's you know what? Who does that all the time is is car dealers and like service departments that they you know you get your your tires changed or you get whatever, and the the person in charge just begs you and begs you and begs you to give them a five star review. Yeah. Because if you don't, if they don't get one, they're going to be in trouble. Then they'll send you a follow up email, and it's like, what the hell, dude? I don't get with your company and tell them you're forcing me to crawl on my knees to get five star reviews. I'm good at my job. Ask anybody. You know, I don't abuse that, but like I had a reaction with DoorDash last night. I had a uh, I had a bad experience. I ordered something, and uh, I think the 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 DoorDasher did a terrible job, and I got the wrong thing, and they didn't ask the right questions, and blah blah blah. And I gave a poor review. I got a response and my money back in like thirty seconds. I swear. Wow. They they must have some sort of computer. Uh, the two star review. Two star review. Ah, ah, Defcon one, we need to fix this because they did. Um, because hmm. well, I I know I got a buddy who is uh in in his business. One of his things was trying to deal with the the trying to keep it as close to a five star. He said it's impossible to get a five star. You can't. There are too many cranks and weirdos out there who are just just out to complain. It's impossible sure. to satisfy everybody. But it it matters to your business. Man, I'm glad we're not in a business like that. Can you imagine? Well, we've looked at our Yelp reviews and we've got some good ones and some bad ones. The bad ones are scathing. <laughs> they are. Who, who does a Yelp review on a radio show? <laughs> We've failed once again to please all of the people all of the time. Damn it. If you miss an hour, get it on the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.